Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is the Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, episode 277 on our network. You guys are in for a great episode today. I wish you guys could be around and our audience could be around our pregame with this show specifically because these guys talk the talk and walk the walk. They talk about getting prepared for games physically, mentally, but you should see the sweat they get on before the show with the pregame warm-up. It's amazing. You know, there's a line in that song before I bring uh, my, my stars and co-hosts on here, but um, we take care of our own is, is a line in that song that was our previewed our show today. And uh, I wish Major League Baseball would do that a little bit more. We're going to get into that today. It's a theme, a thread that's going to go across our show. Um, but to our audience, 50,000, close to 50,000 subscribers now. 74 countries, grassroots MLB office, front offices. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, because of your support, we are the newest podcast stream on iHeartRadio. Uh, couldn't do it without you. Keep providing us with the support. Keep download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, review. Give these guys five stars today. Write a nice comment for them. We can keep giving you great content every every week. So I'm going to warn the audience right away. Buckle up, put your helmet on. Uh, be ready because this is going to get you right between the eyes today. And with that, uh, Mark Wiley, Will George, welcome back to your show. Great to be back, guys. Thanks, Dave. I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, I know we've got we've, we've got a lot of preview notes, but I had a couple questions. This, these are you know I always ask selfish questions. Um, that's that's the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly with me being a a producer of the show. But uh, a couple things I wanted to get with one was you know we saw the p- position players pitching this year. We read we all read that article. I hope if you haven't, please do on Ball Nine, Kevin Kernan. Um, star of coaching Kernan here on our network, wrote a great article again uh, on position players pitching. Now you guys were, were, were two very, very good professional pitchers in your own right. And I would imagine uh, would have killed for the opportunity to pitch in the bigs. And nowadays we're seeing analytics driven decisions where random position players are throwing beer league softball stuff up uh, to guys that could kill them. I saw one to Ronald Acuna the other day as a professional, you know, you guys are both, uh, professional scouts and coaches, both former professional pitchers. What does that do to you when you see that? How, how do you perceive that as a, as a f- former pro, current current coach, current scout? What's that do to you? I, I'll, I'll take the first one, Mark. You know, you did get to pitch in the big leagues. Uh, myself and hundreds of thousands of others who would have died for opportunities and we now have guys that are position players that throw multiple innings in games, throw multiple innings during the course of a season in 14 and 15 man pitching staffs. Uh, I, you know, don't, are, are, aren't we supposed to develop pitchers to pitch in games in the big leagues? I get it. You know, years ago when, you know, when we had 10 and 11 man pitching staffs and there was a blowout and you were on a long road trip and you were trying to save your bullpen. But the way they shuttle guys back and forth from AAA, uh, the, the, the number of, you know, I, I think that major league managers look at their bullpens as like 15 and 16-man staffs between AAA and the big leagues because you're always seeing a guy throw, a, a reliever throw two innings and get sent back down and another arm comes up just for a couple days. And it's like, these guys spend more time going back and forth from places, which is not healthy. 
it's not healthy for the game. It's not healthy that a, a position player threw four innings in a major league game. It's not healthy that guys throw pop-ups in like slow pitch softball. Uh, I, it's just beyond me where, where we are. And I'm sure so many pitchers that never got any opportunity to pitch in the big leagues are as appalled as I am over this stuff happening all the time. Well, I, you know, the most obvious one is the most recent one was, was when the, uh, the guardians threw position player for four innings, which, you know, I coached in the big leagues for 17 years and uh, I've never heard of a position player pitching four innings uh, unless, I mean, I don't know, maybe it happened, but, you know, unless you had a multi extra inning game where you used your entire pitching staff up first and you were just painted into a corner, but that rarely happens. Um, I, you today, know, you know, it does, I, today it doesn't happen because, you know, we, we limit the extra innings by, by putting a runner at second base. So, so you, you don't really get into those, those points where you would really use up your staff. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin did some research. Jose Akendo, I think, may have thrown three innings in an 18-inning extra inning game. And that was with a, an 11-man pitching staff had happened. So, yeah. uh, and, and let's also point out the rosters had expanded. I believe there were either 15 or 16 pitchers on the roster that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I- it's dangerous too. No, for, I mean, I saw, I posted that, reposted something on Facebook, and I just put, this is an embarrassing look for baseball. And it got a lot of hits, a lot of views, a lot of great comments, similar to what you guys are, are saying. No, nothing positive. Nobody saw anything, especially in our network. But I, if you watch the guy pitching in that game, as soon as he let go of that ball, he backed up about 15 feet. And yeah. uh, that got to, that's got to tell you right there that he feared for his safety, as he should. Yeah. Well, how about this? Isn't one of our big uh, big agendas for Major League Baseball is to speed up the game, right? So uh, I think that 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 shoots it right in the face um, yeah. of one one of these things that Major League Baseball thinks is so important that uh, you know th- that stuff like this is being done. I mean, if if I bought a ticket to go to a ba- Major League Baseball game. And I see a position player throw four innings and throwing balloons up there like slow pitch softball. First of all, I'll be gone after the first inning that he throws. And the stadium should be empty because that's just a total embarrassment to baseball, the professionalism of it. Um, You can't, I don't care what you say, you can't make an excuse that's good enough for me because I've been there and done that. So I'm I'm not buying that we wanted to save the pitchers, really. So you're telling me you're so scared your pitchers are going to get hammered anyway that they won't be available for the next day? I mean, come on. This is another thing. Maybe they got scared because they only allow pitchers to throw one inning in relief in the big leagues, and they're afraid that they wouldn't be able to use those guys the next day. I mean, heaven forbid if you threw three days in a row, an inning each day. Um, That never happens now. Um, because they're afraid somebody's going to get hurt, and then they do. So maybe throwing more might be better. Well, position player has no idea what they're doing up there, and you know, for the most part, and they're bound to get hurt. I am not big on over legislation. I've been vocal about that with the game with all the all the crazy rule changes. But in this case, I'd love to see some legislation happen where maybe a team gets fined for doing that, um, and or 
I'll tell you what, whoever, whatever analytics department person made that decision, I would love to see them the next time they run out of pitchers, you go on the mound and throw an inning on the mound. I guarantee they changed their formula. That won't happen again. <laughs> yeah, that, it's, it's just, it, it's demeaning to the game um, to just lob balls over the plate. Um, I, it, it's just, you know, and, and, and there's people like me that are in the ballpark that are scouting that have to watch that. You know, uh, you know, what am I evaluating? I can't be evaluating hitters that are that are facing slow pitch softball pitches. I mean, yeah, you know, the scouts, you, as a scout, you should just get up and leave, too, because, yeah, it, you know, you're watching play, you know, you're watching play game. You know, you're watching over yeah. the line in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I know the and I mark you 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 put some nice notes together and kind of segue into what we're going going into today. But and I don't mean to skip a little bit, but you you brought up the word gaslighting pre-show and in, and I think it weighs heavily into this because Major League Baseball is trying to gaslight that this is a fun part of the game and it's really not. But define gaslighting for our audience as you see it in baseball, and we can start talking about some of these. Uh, how would we say? I think we saw the Nationals purge a bunch of people. Uh, some yeah. maybe some personal agendas in the game with how we're looking at some things today. So, give us gaslighting. What you yeah, I, you know the definition from Webster's is gaslighting is the psycholo- psychological manipulation of a person, usually over an extended period of time, that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, perceptions of reality, or memories, and typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence self-esteem, and uncertainty in one's emotional mental stability, causing a dependency on the perpetrator. Well, yeah, you are kind of saying that. The Major League Baseball's been doing some of that. Um, they're, they're, they're hoping people forget about what real, reality is. Um, you know, they want it to be their reality. Um, you know, they, they talk down to people as if it's... Uh, 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 like it's gospel, what they're saying that there's tons of research behind it. Right. Um, you know, it, it, this game, this game, as well as life, there's a lot of people that use that, you know, they use that to manipulate people. Um, you know, I hadn't heard of it before until a few years ago, you know, I knew it happened, but I didn't know it had a name, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, they, you know, they put you down often, you know, um, they embarrass you in front of others. Uh, they're always trying to make themselves look smarter and funnier than everybody else. Um, and they, they open, they openly, uh, second guess people, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's really sad, um, that that's, it's hap- It happens in life now more than ever because of social media, uh, people can do it without even confronting you. Um, I, you know, I used to say when I managed in, in the minor leagues, you know, people, you know, I, I, I'd start reading the articles when I first started managing and, and there'd be good articles. There'd be bad articles, how stupid I was. Why didn't I do this or that? You know? And, and one day I, I came to the realize, I said, you know what? I'm just going to stop reading it. Why would I read stuff that locked often isn't true anyway? It's just their own speculation of what was going on. They don't know the whole, all the information uh, like I did when I made a decision. So, you know what? I'm not going to look at that anymore. And if somebody writes something really bad that I need to address 
somebody I know is going to read it and they're going to show it to me. And if somebody wrote something really good about me, I don't want to get like a big head thinking I'm something special. So there was no advantage for me personally to read stuff. Um, today, everybody reads everything. They read it and often people get tricked into thinking it's it's actually has some some backbone behind it. It doesn't. You know, you know, you know, Mark, uh, the, the piggyback off of that, uh, we're always told to trust the science, to trust the science, you know, uh, you know, during the COVID, there were certain things that they said weren't good. And then they said, well, no, they actually, they actually could have helped us. And certain things they said we needed to do. And there's certain things, oh, trust. Well, first of all, baseball is not a science. Because one and one doesn't always equal two uh, when you're watching a baseball game. The biggest, strongest, fastest guy isn't always the greatest player ever. There's a reason Babe Ruth was as great as he was. He wasn't the biggest, strongest, fastest guy. He was just a very good baseball player. And we've seen guys all, all you walk through the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, we don't want any shorter pitchers. Well, there's about a whole wing of Hall of Fame pitchers that were under six feet tall and right-handed or six feet tall. So, like, it's not a scientific game. Don't tell me when I ask you a question that your science is always right because there is a lot of gray area that we can go into and 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 go that, no, no, this guy is going to help us become a better team because he can do all these things. It may not add up in, in all your scientific uh, grading and your scientific measurements, but that guy's going to help us win games. And there's guys that do that every day still in the big leagues, and they're undervalued and underappreciated. Well, you know, and, and you're trying to, you know, it's all calculated on some statistics they show you because it mirrors what their intention is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not the truth because it's not the whole picture, but they often make you think it is, you know, like everyone has a platform in today's in social media, you know, you can, you, everybody, we're, Hey, we're on a podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I try to, I try to give information that I know is right from my past experiences. Right. And we try to put it in a framework where people can understand what you and I have gone through in our life. Will yeah. we might be able to help help somebody else identify some issues. Um, but, you know, these people that put, you know, uh, their own title in front of it, which doesn't relate to what the subject is, uh, or uh, when making a comment to news media or coaches to players or politicians to the public or successful people who seem to have an opinion on everything uh, or so-called experts who haven't studied the situation that's being addressed, but they're going to make a statement because they're, they, they either want to sound smart or they're getting paid for it. Right. You know, Mark, we and, saw that a lot in the, in the COVID days. Yeah. Mark or Will, and you guys both can answer this and you don't have to be specific about people, but you got a lot of experiences uh, and, and that's why we have you guys here. So people can tap into it, not just in the baseball world, but your guys experience parallel to life too go as far as you want with it, but are, are there specific instances where maybe you guys experienced uh, that directed towards you um, as players, as coaches, as professionals, um, where you felt like you were being gaslighted or things were being 
um, I don't want to say manipulated, but maybe that's the right word, manipulated in and around you to hold you back, redirect you in a, in a not so nice way. I'll just go real quick. Uh, it's like, it's, it's not blatant because they're, they're very smart, but to me, it's, it's, it's very disrespectful to our, our whole life experience that we have in the game. And I, I, you know, you can't go any further than the, the thing I always point out to you guys, I go in a couple days a week at the sport track MLB injuries. We're now approaching as, as just the 1200 major league rostered players, not the whole organization, 119,000 missed games, at over $360 million. So the game is not in a healthy place. And the only person, there were two articles this year on the arm injuries, just on the arm injuries. And that was Kevin who did the exploding elbows. And then somebody did an article when Otani got hurt again, the troubling trend of arm injuries. The, the, The troubling trend should not just be arm injuries. They should be oblique injuries. They should be pulled hamstrings, pulled groins, Um, you know, all the other injuries that happen every day. Oh, and I take that back. And one of our other guests, Dan O'Dowd, did a piece uh, with with pitching injuries uh, uh, on MLB Network. But there – when are we going to look in the mirror and be honest to ourselves that what we're doing is not working? That's that's. But, and, and, but, you know, if it wasn't for these people writing these articles or or having these shows dealing with this, um, the majority of sports people don't go there. They don't go there because they have fear of their maybe their access to Major League Baseball or whatever. Um, uh, so, you know, so there's a lot of controls going on here that we don't see all the time. I'll give you an example. Last night I was well, at the ball field. You, you guys saw that video I put out there. On yeah. And some, uh, the dad was over there. His son was in one of the far cages working on pitching and he had looked like a pitching trainer over there with all those heavy balls out and whatnot. And he <laughs> ventured over to our field and just watched fundamentals. And he's like, every day you guys do pepper, you do uh, arm conditioning, you do directional throwing with infield and outfield. And, you know, I said, yeah, it's fundamentals every day. And, um, and I said, what are you doing over here? And he, he's a, he was a podcast listener. He introduced himself. He actually introduced me to our podcast. He goes, you got to listen to this podcast. You sound an awful lot like these guys that are out there. And he knew of our, our network. And I said, I introduced <laughs> myself as, as, as yeah. I let him, I let him, I let him say nice things about us first before I interrupted him. I wanted to hear right. as many nice things as possible. So <laughs> I said, now you're a listener of the show. You hear what we say. Yet your son's over there whipping heavy balls around. And I said, tell me why. I said, because you know it's wrong. He's like, well, the guy's a former pro. So I checked it off. He's, he knows people at the college level and pro level. Number two, six or seven other kids that my son's competing with, not mine, but this guy uses him as well. And I said, okay, those are factors that hook you in, but you know it's wrong. You know that 50% of these kids that are doing that stuff are going to have Tommy John surgery. And I said, you knowing all that, being an intelligent baseball guy, hearing me, you, you, he verbalized it to me before I did to him. And I said, but you're still letting your son do that over there and you're paying for it. Right. And he's like, yeah. And I said, you may need a double dose of uh, real voices of the game tomorrow to, to get on this. So that was an intelligent guy who had a baseball background, who knew all the stuff we're talking about 
and he was still being gaslighted, pardon the overuse of the term, but by somebody who was making a living off of this guy's insecurities, basically. So um, it's it's insane out there. So yeah, the, the, the podcasts that we do, the articles that are being written by by the people in our, our closed circle, we just got to keep doing it. Um, cause I got a face to face with a guy and he looked me in the eye, he told me he knew it was wrong, what they were doing, but he's still doing it. And I, I just didn't get it. You know, and then Mark, you know, off of some of the things you said, you know, MLB.com is one of the big beat writers of the game now because there's so much digital media. Those guys, the girls and guys that cover teams now, they have to be careful what they say because they're they're hired by MLB. They're not working for a newspaper. You know, Ken Rosenthal lost his job at MLB Network because he criticized some things about Manford. So those people, they don't point out all the things that we see that are wrong in the game. They're always trying to uh, only, only find things that they can accentuate to make the game sound like it's growing in a better place. But nobody's allowed to ask any tough questions it's anymore. Be, it's because they're the big elephant in the room. They're the yeah, elephant in the room. And they, they're, now they're into social media and they're into uh, to, to doing their own thing, which kind of overrides some of the articles that other people are writing. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, like I, I you know, I cover organizations that have – horrific number of injuries and they're paying strength trainers and and strength coaches a lot of money to keep their players history. And nobody ever says, have you revisited where he's gone (laughs) training? Yeah, you're right. You like, like you keep records, but you don't look at them or analyze them. Yeah. It's like, well, let's just keep paying them. Uh, he, he has, he has, he has over a 500,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, wait a minute. He's not keeping our players healthy. Yeah. Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a good example of what you're seeing. You, you see every day in articles with people with real agendas to try to keep the game the way it is or keep society the way it is. Right. You know, like uh, I, I was always amazed and I used to point it out to my wife during the COVID time when they were talking about, you know, all these things that, that could happen, may happen, should happen, might happen. I started I started realizing those words don't mean anything. No, <laughs> but they'd act like that solidified the reason why you do certain things or how you react to something. I could, may, should, might. Are you kidding me? Then, then there's the people that that write these articles, and I'm sure you run into it probably with with some of the MLB stuff that you you referred to. Is a, a source close to the situation? Right. My sources informed me. An unidentified source said, "I heard from an expert who said a number of studies have been shown without ever mentioning the studies, of course." Right. I am an expert, and I say, really, uh, they don't have any information. They're an expert. They don't have any information, but he or she has to put something out there, or the numbers show it. The numbers show it. And there, you know? and, and there's, there's not a true fact in there to 
my conversation yesterday with Dan O'Dowd that, you know, when we were in Cleveland years ago, we worked really hard with our pitchers to, to, to build a foundation mechanically to have them, uh, first of all, stay healthy and pitch, develop, and to be able to command their fastballs, um, how none of those things that we know all we all know work, and the things now that we see, nobody can tell me they work. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, Ray Crone Jr. We had his dad on. He's a major league scout, and he covers uh, three or four organizations. He had somebody do a study in uh, – their front office analytics, what the average control grade is in double A and triple A. These are the feeders to the big leagues, as we know, right, Mark? Yeah. Um, And this was based upon game data of balls being in the strike zone. So, Will, quick, uh, control grade? Control grade is between 2 and 8 or 20 and 80 with 50 or 5 being average. The double A and triple A pitchers average control grade. That's a well below average grade. And those are the guys we're calling up to the big leagues to go pitch in major league games. First of all, Mark, years ago when I was a pitching coach, and it's been a long time, you weren't going to get the double A and triple A unless you were pushing five or 50 or average with control. Yes. And in the big leagues, you had to have it unless your stuff was so overpowering that you could get away with mistakes. Yeah, and none for, of you an in, for an inning, for an inning, for an inning, not exactly. for a starter. Yeah, exactly. So this guy did the study for Ray because he was appalled as a scout watching games in Double A AA and Triple A, where guys were where teams were walking twelve and fifteen guys on a given night. I mean that's 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 well, just all that you know, but the, and that's that's where that's what's so funny is they're not looking at their own data and all their technology they set up in all these minor league parks. Yeah, they can yeah. track that stuff. You can track the stuff way better than 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 my initial program that I set up with the Orioles to try to discover where my pitchers were throwing the ball and how many real strikes we threw and all right. those kind of things. Now, every pitch is recorded. You can look at pitches in and out of the strike. You can look where the target was and where the ball ended up, and you can make a determination whether they truly have command or control easily. And so then when you identify that, you go, okay, this guy here really has problems. He's got a good arm, but we've really got to concentrate on him commanding the ball better because he's not going to help us in the big leagues. Now, they don't look at that. No, no. And, and okay, so now, okay, we have uh, wins above replacement, which I guess is some sort of a, a fake player that's just league average or league co- competent or whatever. But here's the numbers that, that you and I just discussed, and Dave, over the last 10 minutes, the fact that guys are go- going to the big leagues with well below average control and the fact that that the number of days we're missing and the number of injuries we have are astonishing, but those numbers never come out publicly. 
we have to dig through science. We have to dig through archives of things to find those numbers that should be in the paper every day, letting every owner and every person running every organization, we're failing right now. We truly are failing if that's the case. And it is the case. We see it. Well, if a, you know, if, a, if an owner doesn't have anybody close to him that can educate him on that, he's going to take the word of the people that he hired and he paid money to right. that he trusts. And right. that's the point. The point right. is, is that you need to have another person that, that can, can answer questions for you and maybe help you as an owner ask the right questions. Right. Um, but like you're saying, we're, we're getting rid of all those. They're getting rid of all those people because oh, they don't yeah. want those people around anymore. They don't want people around that's going to tell them, um, you know, this may not be good for the organization or this may not be good for the, for the, for the, for our team, or maybe the industry looks at it this way. Maybe we should look at it this way. I, you know, I got a, I have a friend who got fired from an organization that was highly analytical and their owner. And, you know, most of the owners have made money in life, using analytics but when you use analytics for widgets and cars and uh you know whatever it is that you're selling or whatever it is that you're analyzing those are not human beings and he made that point to the owner and he got fired two months later when the owner hedge fund head hedge funds yeah you know and 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 all he was making is you know we're not evaluating a widget we're, we're evaluating a human being and, you know, the human being, uh, there's so many other factors that the numbers just don't tell. And the guy, the owner didn't like the fact that he stood up and was trying to explain to him where you're failing at just looking at it analytically. Well, I'm sure that it's not only baseball that that's happening to oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I get it. When you own a company, um, you got to make tough decisions sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you got to let people go. Um, my, my advice was always to people that I was around, whether it be ownership or general managers or whoever it might be, I always said, always give the person a second chance. If you see them not performing to where you want them to or not doing something you want them to do, you confront them with it, tell them, listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity to fix this. But if this doesn't get fixed, then there's a chance, you know, we'll have to part ways. Yeah. To me, that way the person does it to himself. You know, like if he refuses to, to get on board or he refuses to do his work properly, at least in your heart, you can say, okay, I, you know, I have all the right in the world to let that guy go. I hate it when somebody comes into a new organization or a new company and just access people without even knowing who they are. Right. Yeah. You. You. Because you, you do that, you're gonna. You may be axing some of the best people you've ever been around. Yeah. We we always talked about that for years, Mark. You. I think you said it. You know. You know. You come in as a new general manager and you fire all the scouts or player development. You may have just let go of a Hall of Fame scout, a guy who has tremendous judgment, works his ass off. Uh, is a great team player. And just because, you know, he's working in an area where you want to bring somebody else in, 
you're you're letting go an asset that that you haven't even evaluated just to make a change. Well, here, here's another thing, um, which is to me is really important. I wanted to hit on it today because we always talk about surrounding yourself with good people, right? Um, you know, and when I make a comment about an owner should get a guy that can advise him, not tell him what to do, just just something when the owner hears something about his organization, he runs up by this guy and say, does that sound right? Is there a way we could do it better? Is there a question I should ask the people that I've hired? Um, that person has to be somebody that doesn't have an agenda. You know, it's usually got to be somebody that's older, that somebody doesn't want to be a GM. They don't want to manage the baseball team. You know, they want to just give you advice and good advice from their experiences. Now, you and I both have been around people the other way. Oh, yeah. We want we want some examples of people that you don't really want to surround yourself with. You know, um, you know, I have no problem with somebody having ambition. But when their whole agenda speaks to them getting something for themselves, I have a problem with it. I've well, been around many, cool. many great selfless people who believe in helping achieve net, uh, teamwork, respect others' ideas, strive to make everybody better. But it always bothers me when it's all about them. Well, that's, uh, you know, I won't do any names, but I will give the one guy some uh, some props here. It's uh a former Hall of Fame player that did want to get involved in ownership. And he and I were talking about, you know, what's right, what's wrong in baseball right now. And he had said to me, he said, do you know Fred Clare? And I said, uh, not well, but uh, I heard he's a wonderful person who did a great job with the Dodgers for all those years. He said, if I were to become an owner, I would hire him because they always seemed to do everything right when he was there. We had Fred and, on our show earlier. Yeah, yeah, Dave. And I remember one of our early shows with you and Kevin and I, we had Fred on. And he was, first of all, like you said, Mark, there's no agenda there. He doesn't want to be the GM. He doesn't want to be the president, but he loves the game. And he loves whoever he's working for. Uh, and he's going to do the right thing for those, uh, you know. And I think the Dodgers have that. We brought over uh, the guy who was with the Braves for years, who uh, went over to Washington for a while, and now he's with the Dodgers as 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 a senior advisor. Uh, oh man, I'm getting old. I can't remember his name, but he was the team president for the Braves for years when Scherholz was there. Hmm. Uh, oh, well. I'll look it up for you guys. I'll yeah, look. it's not good, but uh, I guess I'm getting older. But, you know, you're right. You know, I, I when I was in college, it was probably the first time I knew Fred. Fred was the sports editor of the newspaper that covered my college team. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, uh, and then he progressed through – you know, through uh, professional baseball to become the general manager of the Dodgers. And he is such a tremendous guy. And he's always surrounded himself with people, exactly the people we're talking about. You know, the good people, people that that don't have agendas, people that want to do everything for, for the good of others. Right. Um, 
you know, give people opportunities that deserve it. Uh, Fred's always been that way, you know, I mean, but, you know, going back, you know, people that have agendas, you know, it's like, it's like two people give money to a charity. One doesn't want to know, doesn't want anybody to know he gave the money. The other one publicizes uh, in an effort to make themselves more popular. You know, like it's, you could tell these people that it's about themselves. Um, They never make the right decisions for the group. It's always the right decision for them. Um, When the group has completed a project, uh, that person will always shield others from the, 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 the final decision makers or owners of the club or the general manager. They'll shield everybody else that had anything to do with that because they want to take full credit for it. Um, we've all been around those people in baseball. It happens. I mean, um, I've seen players and this all goes along with people that have so much personal agendas usually do to do use gaslighting as one of their tools that we talked about earlier. You know, they like to put people down. I remember being around a player. He was a catcher and, uh, you know, and I always felt bad. You know, I, I was in the minor leagues. We were all in the minor leagues. And this one catcher used to talk down to this other catcher all the time, make fun of him, put him down. I didn't realize it was gaslighting at the time. But after I learned what gaslighting was, I said, yeah, when I was in the minor leagues, that guy gaslighted that other catcher all the time. Well, years later, after that other catcher had been in the big leagues for 20, over 20 years, um, he confided that how much that bothered him when that guy did that to him like 40 years earlier. Like it was unbelievable. The impact that guy making fun of him and always saying you're stupid or whatever like that. And, I, and it was, it was a perfect form of gaslighting, which I didn't understand at the time, but now I look for that stuff and I address it right away. You know, baseball people, baseball people call people out on that stuff probably better than people in society do because, you know, we, we have a little bit more uh, framework of uh, uh, protecting ourselves or understanding when somebody's trying to do something to you. Um, You know, I think more people should call people out when they see that, you know, uh, you know, you got a lot of people that, that uh, uh, you want to have around you. We talk about surrounding yourself, good people. You know, first, the number one thing is that if you want to be around somebody, you got to be around somebody that has empathy for others. If they don't have any empathy for others, that's not a good sign because then it's about them. You want to be around people that tell the truth. You know, you want to have people with similar interests. Go ahead, Will. No, I was just going to say, just so everybody knows, I'm not uh, going senile. Stan Katzen. Oh, yeah. You know, Atlanta, he was the president, went to Washington, helped build that up. Then he went out to L.A. Now he's a part owner, team president. But that's that steady hand without any agenda. He doesn't want to be the king of the world. He wants it to be the best organization it can be. Uh, Making sure that the scouting, the player development, the major league team, things move right. That's the way to go. You know, Mark, we worked with people early on in our career we won't mention any names that in meetings that would uh, would always be about them. It would always be about, uh, well, you know, I, 
I can't win with him. Well, you're, 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 you're a player development manager. It's about, you know, developing what you have. It's not, you know, you don't get all the best players and they're sarcastic and demeaning towards other managers and other things that are going on. They never self-evaluate what they're doing. Uh, but yeah. they always have their agenda to get where they want to. And I think, you know, you know, we worked with the, the one person I'm thinking about for a while. And, you know, you actually had conversations with, hey, you know, you don't have to blow smoke up my ass. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm doing a good job here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where those, those type people, um, they'll never say it publicly to anybody. Uh, because that takes diminishes away from who they are. They they want to take credits, but they will uh, blow smoke uh, to you individually with nobody else around. Because okay. that's more benefit. That's their way of of motivating you to keep doing your job, so they can use you in a, in a way that 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 makes them successful without giving you any credit. I think that's um, a good, it's a good theme you guys are talking about. There's not just in baseball, but there's in life now, there's an assault on meritocracy. And do you guys perceive this? And I just talked baseball, but people listening can, can kind of line it to their own life. When people gaslight or put down or try to redirect you, is it because they don't want to compete? And if they can redirect you, they don't have to compete. Are they in fact intimidated by somebody like yourself? I think, you know, for, for me, um, over the last 20 years or so, and I had a son and I was involved in travel ball, it, it became where instead of pulling together, people are always demeaning others. People are always, everybody worried about others instead of being the best themselves they could be. You know, like I, I, I think that's a big problem in everything in society. It's like, when we listen to the po- political debates, it's not what we're going to do. It's how bad the other bastard is. And uh, I don't know why, you know, you know tell me what you're going to do, you know, or if you're doing your job, do it the best you can. I don't need to, to talk bad about anybody else. Tell me what you want done. I'll go do my best at it. And, and we're all part of the team together. Well, I think I think you hit on something, Dave. I, th- I think it. These people are usually very smart because in order to use gaslighting, you got to know the effects of it, and they know. And uh, but they have major trust issues. You know, I've been around people. Uh, I've been around one guy who I really he very knowledgeable, very bright guy, and but the one issue he had was he always felt everybody else was after his job. You know, and to me, no matter how good you are, you can't be as good at your job if you're worried about other people taking your job. Right. And sometimes it's sometimes it's just uh, nobody was after their job, but they perceived that everybody was. Right. And so they were always on the defense. You know, you got to get over that. Hey, I can remember when I was a pitching coach in the big leagues and uh, we sent down one of our players. Um, I don't know whether he was not doing well or whether it was one of those situations where we had an injury and the guy came back healthy. And so we sent him down and I always had good relationships with my pitchers, even the guys in the minor leagues. And, uh, the guy came back up and I said, uh, 
I said, Willie, how'd you do? I saw you were doing pretty well down there and everything. He goes, Mark, can I talk to you? And I go, yeah, yeah. So we went over and we sat out in the bullpen and I said, what's up? He said, well, the guy down there, the pitching coach down there is talking a lot of shit about you. And he's saying, well, when I get up to the big leagues and I'm the pitching coach, I'll be able to help you and all the other guys way more than he can. And I said, oh, really? And I see. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, let me tell you something about myself. And I said, he said, what's that? And I said, I don't worry about that stuff because I don't have time to worry about that. I'm doing, trying to do my job. If I do my job, I don't have to worry about anybody taking my job. And I said, and if somebody does take my job and he takes it under those pretenses or he convinces the, my bosses that he could do a better job, hey, that's fine. That's fine. That's their decision. It's not something I can control anyway. So, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, I, I could have been vindictive and I could have pushed to get that guy fired and done all kinds of other stuff. But, you know, I didn't have time to do that stuff. And I don't think character people worry about that stuff. They're too involved in trying to do their job. Ironically, all under the guise of a sport where we're trying to preach team to everybody, right? Right. Yeah, right. No. Uh, you know, we, 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 we are not creating those cultures anywhere. You know, there's so much division amongst teams now. There's so much division amongst front offices. There's so much division everywhere where everybody has their own agenda. Uh, um you know, Mark, you were there when, in 07 when we went to the World Series and leading up to that, you know, Clint Hurdle said something in a meeting that, that I think really resonated and Kelly McGregor and Dan O'Dowd through all their leadership, you know, let's all pull the rope the same way. We're never going to win a tug of war if everybody isn't pulling it the same way. And we rolled up our sleeves and we put together a team that was very competitive for three or four years there. And, but you, you said a lot there. You know, think about what you're talking about. You're talking about experience. Experience. When you're, when you're not experienced, when you're in leadership and you're not experienced, right. you're going to do anything you can to keep your job. Right. And you're fearful of everybody else because you don't really know how to do your job in the first place because you're inexperienced. Right. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You get an opportunity, but... That's my whole argument is surrounding yourself with people without agendas that are smarter than you, that make you better, especially if you're a young guy that don't have a lot of experience. And that's what we're running into. And that's why they're going the other way and they're firing people. Right. They're firing the experienced people because they know they know more than them. Well, you should embrace that they know more than you. Right. right. And you should use them and help have them help you be better. You know, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about Kelly McGregor, God rest his soul, who we lost at a really young age. Um, he was a, first of all, he looked like Superman. <laughs> he did. Uh, played played college football, played in the NFL. Not a baseball guy, but a smart guy with tremendous leadership. And Dave, you tape, typed in ego. He had no ego. He was about leading our group. And I'll never forget our first meeting where, down in the clubhouse in Colorado where he had the champagne sitting there. He said, this is where we want to be every October. And, and then he talked about a plan to get there. And the plan was about pulling the rope the same way. And everybody stay, 
you know, what's the sarcastic, hey, stay in your lane. Well, no, we all stayed in our lane. We were told what we needed to go do, and we went and did it, and we were happy to do it. We all wanted to get the best players in Colorado to be the best players they could be. Uh, nobody got their feelings hurt over uh, a, a disagreement. We were allowed to agree to disagree. Healthy, healthy debate. Um and Kelly grasped it. He grasped what baseball was because he didn't have an ego. He was the team president, but he wanted to hear what Mark said. He wanted to hear what Rick Matthews and Clint Hurdle said and all the people that had spent their – Pat Doherty, people that had spent their whole lives in the game. It mattered what, what, what they said. And that's, that's, how, that's how we built a team that, you know – had struggled for years, but then leading from 06, 7, 8, 9, and 10, that group of guys were really good. And then unfortunately, we couldn't afford to keep them all. And, you know, we, we went new directions. But And then we lost Kelly, and we lost a lot of that leadership that came with it. How do you, how do you avoid it? Like, let's see, we got sports people out there that maybe this is probably resonating with the people in other walks of life. When you find yourself in that situation where there's a lot of gaslighting, there's a lot of agendas, there's lack of humility, major ego, people in that group think, you know, vacuum, how do you avoid becoming a part of that? Well, you know, I, I think, I, I think that uh, uh, people that are unifiers, at least not a contributor to it, I become not part of the problem. Yeah, I think I think what happens is is that, um, uh, you know, you surround yourself, like I said, with good people, people that have similar goals to you. And let's say if you're in a front office setting and, uh, you know, you want to make things better, um, uh, you you you've had meetings with the right people um, doesn't seem to be going well. Um, sometimes your friends. Um, and you don't want to be perceived, you know, being a, a clubhouse lawyer or a, a front office lawyer in you're complaining about everything. But you, you need to discuss among yourselves what you can do to make even people you don't like better. I, I think th that's one thing good coaches do. Good coaches. Hey, I can't tell you I liked every one of my pitchers I ever had. But I always tried to help them and try to make them better, whether they liked me or not, because my job was to get the best out of them. If I took it personal, and I believe me, I've seen coaches, I've seen front office people take it out on people because they don't like them. And all they're doing is hurting themselves. Yeah. You know, uh, they won't talk to the person. They won't help them. They'll talk bad about them. You know, uh, that's not what you want to do. You want to be part of the the solution. And, and sometimes it's hard to be part of the solution when you don't like the person or don't like what's going on, but you got to continually strive to try to make things better and come up with ideas that might finally get through. You know, and, and as an evaluator and a, somebody who's done it a long time, it's something that I had to learn that, you know, there's guys that you go watch, they're extremely talented and they can be a little bit of a dick <laughs> that, that, you know, you don't want that to affect your evaluation and how their day-to-day -day con contribution to your club 
is, is the makeup going to be so bad that it's going to be a distraction? Or is it going to be not a distraction because what they bring to you on the field and then being a little bit of an arrogant, cocky, little bit of a dickhead sometimes is really not going to affect your club because sometimes them being a little bit of a dickhead is kind of a leadership thing where they might be kicking somebody in the ass on the team that needs it too. So like there, like, like, like there's a fine line there in evaluating the, and, and in coaching that you don't want to kill somebody that you don't like that you go, wow, I would never want to go hang out with this guy, but he's pretty freaking talented. And I think he's a good competitor and he's going to help us win. So I got to help him every way I can. And, 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 you know, that's what it, experience brings us the discernment to go through that and figure out the right guy in all ways that the numbers and people who've never played the game and never been in a clubhouse or a dugout don't understand that at all. Hey, I've been in a position where people have come to me that I trusted and were telling me a a particular person was really getting under their skin and it ended up being multiple people who didn't know the other person was coming to me to say that, but they'd come to me too. And it became obvious that, you know, we weren't going to change that person. So I said, you know, kill him with kindness and try to do everything you can to help him and see where that goes. Right. Because sitting around there and, and have, having a pissing match is not helping anything. Right. And complaining about stuff uh, is not going to help anything. So you might as well do something and do something you know is right. You know, you don't want to be the person you don't like. You don't want to be that guy. You you know, you don't want to have your ambition hurt your perspective. Right. You know, you don't want to be worrying about someone else wanting your job to affect you doing your job. You don't want to be tunnel-minded and only and not be willing to see other viewpoints. You know, it's really funny. I've got a story about this. You know, like good people can have bad ideas, but you know what? They figure it out and they're willing to make an adjustment. Right. You know, that's the difference on good people. Good people will make the adjustment when they figure it out that that was a bad idea. Okay. We all have. Them. I mean, I, through my coaching career, I had many terrible ideas that years later I, I, I had corrected when I realized how stupid it was. Okay, well, I have a story. I I coached for Doc Edwards with the Cleveland Indians. And we had a very experienced uh, uh, coaching staff. We had Johnny Gorrell and Charlie Manuel and Louis Isaac. And we had uh, uh, Tommy Spencer. Uh, Anyway, we had a bunch of guys that were very experienced baseball people who had been in the game for years. And Doc liked to go to the games, go to the ballpark really early, especially on the road. He'd, I mean, sometimes we'd show up at 1130 for a seven o'clock game right? in the morning and sometimes earlier. And I know that the, the uh, clubhouse guys hated when we came into town because they had to be there to unlock the, the, the locker room. And some of them didn't want to be there real early. And uh, others would give Doc a key so they wouldn't have to come in. So we could get in early. And the funny part about it is we, you know, we talk about the previous game. We go over things. We go over and over things. Now, this is probably before the 
coaching staffs used to work out because they didn't have gyms back then in the, in the clubhouses. So we pretty much sat there and ate and hashed about the players in the game. Well, you know, one day, you know, during the season, it was another one of those days. We were early. We were probably in in Yankee Stadium or something. And, and it was a – it finally hit me that we beat the players up so bad for so long before they got there, we didn't like any of them when they showed up. You know, we, we were – and I made the comment to the guys. I said, hey – it was one of those days where we'd lost a tough game before and a bunch of guys had made mistakes or something and we were beating them up pretty good. And I, I finally hit me. And I said, you know, we show up so early, Doc, that by the time they get here, we don't like those guys because we beat them up. And everybody started laughing. And right away we said, let's don't do that anymore. That's ridiculous. I said, I, they totally all everybody. We did it. We all chimed in. But we all of a sudden realized that it was doing no good to do that. So then we started coming up with ways to help things and fix things and drills to do and, and discussions to have that might help things get better. And we had a bad team. Don't get me wrong. It was not going to turn around. We weren't going to win any championships back then, but we still, we were better coaches after we realized that. So sometimes, you know, good people can have some bad ideas. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, it's 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 a funny thing. You know, chemistry uh, shows that you care about your coworkers, whether it be other coaches, um, what they're going through. You know, whether it's a player that on top of the world, but you know his buddies really hit the skids and he can't win a game or he can't get a hit. Um, that's what chemistry is. Those guys can feel for those other guys. They don't feel just great because they're doing great. They understand that their friends and coworkers are having trouble and they need to help them. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the philosophy I think that good people have, you know, um, uh, and they appreciate other people's backgrounds too. You know, I remember I, I played with Lyman Bostock. Lyman Bostock, uh, unfortunately was killed in a shooting yeah. uh, while he was in the big leagues. Um, it really upset a lot of us at the time severely, but I, you know, I played with him in the minor leagues and, you know, we had an off day there one day and I said, we live in the same apartment complex and our wives weren't there. I said, Hey, you want to barbecue today? Said, yeah, let's go barbecue. So we, we got the grill out and we we're barbecuing and everything. And he started telling me about his background and he lived in a tough part of LA. And he said, you know, I said, he says, you know, Mark, you know who my first mentor was? I said, who's that? And he says, it was this guy. I used to go down, I'd be in the street and this guy would drive up in his big Cadillac and he had really nice clothes on and, and uh, he would sit down and he would pay me to polish his shoes. And he says, I'd polish his shoes and he'd give me money. And so like, I couldn't wait to get downtown every, every time to, to polish his shoes because he was going to give me money and he was real nice to me and everything. And he says, so one day I went down there and he was nowhere around. And I asked him, where is he? And they go, Oh, he got killed last night. And he goes, what? He says, yeah, he was a drug dealer and he got killed last night. And he says, Mark, that shocked me. That shocked me into reality of what that person, he was nice to me, but what he was doing and and I I I thought he was really cool, 
because of what he did for me. But he says it, it was a, it was a reality check for me. I sat there like dumbfounded, you know, like I felt like it was really important after that point to understand where all my friends came from, whether it be from Latin America or, or inner city or, or even if they were higher level, you know, parents were really high educated. They had a really good education themselves. I wanted to know more about that stuff because it, it helped me understand them better. Yeah. No and, doubt. Uh, you know, the last thing is, is that, you know, people that are good people, they don't, they don't mind getting their hands dirty. Uh, especially if you're a leader, you know, they're, they're willing to do whatever they're asking you to do. And I think I've always respected that when I've seen God, I, I had a, I was in, in a meeting one time and our boss it was like a conference room and we had a meeting. It was a really good meeting and everything. And they had food in there and snacks and everything. So everybody, after the meeting, everybody got up. Now, you know, these, these girls were bringing the food in. It was at the stadium and the girls were bringing food in and everything of that. Well, we got up and he starts cleaning everything up. He's cleaning it up. He's the leader. He's cleaning everything up. That really had an impact on me. I remember going up to him and say, I really appreciate you do that. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, you don't have to pick that stuff up. You could have those girls do it all. But I said, you know, that's a great form of leadership. I just wanted to tell you I appreciate it. You know, little stuff like that will show wow. what true leaders are. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's just being respectful. It's, you know, you know everybody doesn't have to follow you around the cleanup after you. You know, it's just, uh, you know, you know, Mark, you were always a mentor to me. And, you know, talking about working your way through guys that you were coaching that you didn't like, didn't get along with, didn't listen to you or whatever. And I have two two good stories uh, from when I was in double A in Canton and you were the big league pitching coach. I had one guy who we acquired that was a first round pick out of Northwestern and he had a degree in aerodynamic engineering <laughs> and, <laughs> and he would not listen to anything. And I called you up and you gave me some really, and I did not like this guy. He was arrogant. He talked, <laughs> he talked down to me you know, I'm a, just a high school graduate, uh, just trying to help him get better. And you said, well, with these really smart guys, you've got to tell him to tell you to make it think that he's telling you what he needs to do. And like watch video with him and go, yeah, yeah, that's it. And it ended up working. And I helped the guy out and he got better. And, uh, you know, the other guy that I once called you about, we signed a kid that was released that had a little bit of a shady background. And, you know, he was a liar, you know, would never do his running and always say, oh, yeah, I ran. And then the pitchers would go, he didn't run. So, you know, I'm trying to work through that because he had a good arm and he had pretty good stuff, but he was really struggling. He didn't have any focus. He wasn't a good competitor. And I was upstairs, we were in New Britain, Connecticut, and I was writing my mid-season reports and I was just about ready to write him up. And I went down to the lobby and the restaurant was closed, but I wanted to get a cup of coffee. And I walked into the bar and it was like 1145 in the morning and he was smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer. 
And I go, well, that's it. This guy's freaking done. <laughs> you know, we had a game that night. He's sitting and drinking at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm going, okay, the night, Mr. Nice Guy's done. I'm going, what the F are you doing? Goes, oh, I'm just having a beer. <laughs> it relaxes me. I go, you got to be shitting me. So, so, you know, I called called Danny up, who was our dad, who was the farm director. Tyler goes, we got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> you know. Me being nice just ain't going to work anymore. <laughs> he ain't going to get it. But Yeah, you know, I have a similar story. Spring training, I was a AAA pitching coach, and um, I was helping Ray Miller out in spring training um, with, uh, with the big league club. And so when the big club would go on the road in spring training, he would lead me back with the pitchers that were back to work them out and to run them and everything. Yeah. And uh, part of the job, of course, the pitchers staying back had to shag in the outfield for the hitters that were left back taking batting practice. Yep. So, um, you know, I had this guy, he was a big league player. He was, I mean, he's a piece of work, but um, he, he he cut out. He just (laughs) took off and left and he didn't shag or anything. And I'm like, I go, oh, man, this put me in a bad position because I'm in charge of these guys. And uh, so uh, the next day, you know, I, I get there early and Ray Miller's there. And, I, and Ray goes, oh, how'd it go yesterday? I said, well, this particular guy just took off. And he goes, he what? I said, he just took off. He went in and showered and left. I looked around. I was looking for him. And I couldn't find him. And he goes, oh, man, I'll get his ass. And I said, no, no, no. Give me one day. Give me today. He's not going on the road trip again. You're on the road. Let me have him today. He goes, okay, you got one more shot. If you feel like you need me to handle it, I'll handle it. I said, okay, I I think I can do it. So we'll go out there, same thing, batting practice and everything. And started batting practice. He's standing out in the outfield, but he's real right next to the foul line so he can get into the clubhouse real fast to leave again. And I, uh, I walked over to him and I said, hey, uh, you know, yesterday you left and he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, I had some things I had to do. I said, listen, you know, I know you're a good guy, but I said, let me tell you, I'm the triple A pitching coach and I have to answer to Ray and I have to answer to Earl Weaver. And uh, if I can't handle you guys, you know, they're just going to let me go. If, 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 if players won't listen to me and I can't be given the responsibility to take care of you guys when they go on the road, you know, my job's in jeopardy. And I said, uh, I appreciate it if you could help me out with that. And he looked at me and I knew the guy had a heart. As wacko as the guy was. And it, it, people had problems with him all the way through the minor leagues and everything. But I did know that he did have a heart. And then if I could pull on his heartstrings, it might work. And it worked like a charm. Wow. The rest of spring, he never left. He, he, he'd asked me if he could go to the bathroom. Wow. Uh, he, uh, it, it totally changed in our, resp- and, and he really res- responded well to me personally too, as well, uh, after I did that. So, you know, like sometimes if these guys got a heart and you got to find them another way, yeah. um, yeah. But you got to look, you got to look for ways to help people. I mean, I, I, I will tell you this, that my entire career is based on 
trying to problem solve stuff. You know, and sometimes, hey, I'm not the most organized. I'm not the best guy in the world. But, you know, when somebody gives me a job, I try to research it. And I try to do the best possible job I can all the time to make things better, whether it's organizing spring training drills or or uh, or or timing to when to time when's a good time to do something. Um, you know, I always prided myself in that. And I think that had a lot to do with any success that I had along the way. You know, Mark, you, you, you had talked about, you know, just like the, 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 the point of getting to know your teammates, um, getting to know who you're coaching, getting to know who you're playing with. Um, I think it was Marty Schottenheimer that uh, in training camp, he always had guys room with guys that didn't know each other. So that everybody got to know each other, got to know what your journey is. You know, you talked about, you know, you know, I don't know, you know, you, you know, you don't know what somebody's done till you walked a mile in their shoes. And when you get to know where they came from and what they've been through, then you can have empathy. You can have respect for who they are and what they're doing. And, you know, our game is getting away from that team building and becoming singular entities. Let the kids play. It's all about individuals. It's all about marketing individuals instead of marketing good baseball teams. You know, and, and, and that's a bad place to go because nobody really gets to know each other. You know, you have these stars that travel around with entourages. They don't travel with their with their teammates. We all did stuff as teammates our whole lives. And that's why we have such special relationships at this point in our lives with all the people we played with. Well, how many people have you read about in the last 20 years that were entertainers, um, you know, singers or whatever, actors that uh, ran around with the wrong people? Their entourage wasn't there to help them. They were to no. feed off of them. Yeah, and maybe exactly. they said they were they were able to say enough really great things about the person that the person didn't realize that they they had an agenda that they just wanted to get into into the good life and maybe get some extra bucks by being a friend of yours and they're not going to help you make tough decisions. I'm always amazed when you see people like you know Michael Jackson and Elvis and all these these big time entertainers that like end up overdosing. And nobody stepped in. Nobody said, hey, that doctor's an ass, man. He's feeding you. Let me help you. You know, like these people are afraid to say anything to somebody. And it happens in business. It happens in sports, you know, to where if you're afraid to say something, hey, I, I've been around, you know, I've been in team meetings where players got on got on a particular player in a team in a player only team meeting and said some really tough stuff. And I, I was proud that the guy said it because it was hard for him to say it in front of everybody else. Cause this guy was a star player and he, he called him out for being an ass. And, uh, and that's, that's really, and if that guy doesn't come around, then you kind of know where you stand after you do that. But if he does come around, you got great chemistry then. Right. I, uh, I I wanted to read a quote I got yesterday from Clint Hurdle. And it was a really, really good quote here. Uh, 
build relationships so strong that they can bear the weight of truth. Yeah, that's exactly when, right. When, when, when you have that kind of relationship, you know, it's my old, you know, I'm always saying my old Italian saying my mom used to say, those who care about you will tell you to wipe this shit off your face when you look bad, you know, because they care about you. So if that relationship's strong, you know that it's coming from a good place. Hey, I'm just trying to help you here. You know, and 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 those those are the relationships that we're not building in this game. You know, you know, that that we now can't criticize the stars for not playing the game the right way. And that's where that, that's not a good place to be. So Yeah. I mean, I think those people that can do that have a lot of confidence in themselves and they have the character that tells them this is not right. This is not right, and it's my job to point it out, and I don't care what the ramifications are. Well, how do, how do parents now, because I think that's lacking with parents too nowadays, which is why we're, we're creating youth that can't handle truth, don't know how to build relationships, don't have the attribute that you guys both mentioned, empathy, which to me is one of the greatest self-awareness attributes a person can have. But when people, when parents are seeking out instructors for their kids, how do they seek out or how do they find people? Where can they find people that are going to tell their kids the truth? How, how do they navigate that? Because we're talking life and then now we're bringing it back to baseball. You get a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old kid. Where, where do parents find the truth out there to tell their I, kids? You know, for me, I think as, a, as an industry, if this commissioner really did care about the game, there has to be educational programs. And there's people like the three of us and all the people who are on our podcast would gladly show up in the winter or in the fall as kids are going into uh, training programs. Uh, and you've identified that your son or your daughter loves a sport of baseball or softball. Um, here's what you need to do. Here, here's the truth about how to actually get better how to more importantly love and enjoy the game. And if we started doing that, then some of the problems that are occurring and the parents and kids became educated would go away. You know, Dave, you're, you're kind of, you're in that Avenue, you know, of having, uh, you know, facility, a, a place for where you train people and, we have several of our other guys, um, which I'd like to, maybe we, you can put it out there, you know, our recommendations for some of these friends of ours, we know, fill the bill as far as instructors are concerned, the kind of people you'd want your kids to go to. Cause we talk about surrounding yourself with good people and good teachers, but you know, maybe we need to recommend some people, um, you know, the Jim Rooney's, the Jeff Fry's, Ruben Amaro's brother, you know, yourself, you know, people like that. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an evaluation, you know, I don't know, I'm not in that space, but are there any reviews? I mean, hell, you could find reviews on guys that make cabinets. Yeah. I don't I know if you have reviews of people, hey, you know, you don't have to have worked with a hundred major league players, but have these kids gotten better? Have they gotten better or their parents think they've gotten better? Um, you know, word of mouth in, in your business is big time. 
And I don't do it formally. I, in fact, I shy away from it because I, I can't stand the, the industry the way it, it looks, but I'm always willing to help a kid out if they want to get better. And we, that's how we created, how and why we created our group one-on-one with uh, the scholarship situations, but so we can get back to fundamental everything, basketball, baseball, and just helping kids learn who they are in the game, develop the same thing that we talked about today, develop that ability to appreciate team, give up something a little bit of yourself, which always isn't the thing you want to give up. Sometimes it's something that you're decent at, but the team needs you to give it up for us to have success. So those are skills that I take, you know, from my career coaching and playing that I say, you know, that's, that's the part I want to get back. But I think I agree with you. And I think that's something that maybe we want to take on as a network, almost like a Yelp for skill trainers, because it's, uh, it is a, uh, it's, it's my global pandemic. Yeah. And I don't do it formally. I don't, I refuse to take money for it. Um, I know Jim Rooney does a great job with it. Uh, you know, Fry's out there doing it in his way with his infield instruction and, and Ruben's uh, Amaro's brother. You know, as you, well. you know, we know guys all over the country that would gladly spend a Saturday afternoon sitting down, taking a Q&A with a bunch of parents and young kids who they've identified that their kid loves the game. This is how to health, healthily develop your son to be – someone who loves to play, enjoys the game. Uh, this is how he's going to get better. And these are the kind of people that you have to associate yourself with. Make sure that they do all these things, uh, that it's not just about a money grab from you, that, you know, that, that they've now you know, automatically debit money from you every month and you're wondering – you know, my kid still can't hit, he still can't run, and he still can't field. Yet I'm paying this guy, the, the, this guy for his facility, for his lights and air conditioning and heating and batting cages and everything else. Uh, it's not good. It, it, it's not good. You know, it's like anything else. If if you're not educated to 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 what's around you, you know, you're 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 going to fail when you're. Gonna that's one of I those think, skill trainers yeah, calling you right now. Pissed yeah, that's off. right. <laughs> you know, I think I think you you want to be around somebody that's going to organize a personal path for you to accomplish the goal you want. And too many of these guys, and I think parents should go. Don't just jump on the first day. Go see some sessions he's doing with other players. Is he doing a cookie cutter thing? Does he do the same thing every day? Does he do the same thing for every individual? Uh, then you may want to stay away from that guy. So sometimes you got to do your own due diligence just to find out what type of person this is. And that doesn't mean just throwing your kid in the middle of it before you've watched the guy work and talk to him. Talk to him. I mean, they're, they're, most guys are glad to talk to you about their technology they have and their expertise and all that stuff. But if they don't talk about individual plans and their individual plans aren't all identical, uh, you know, that might be a guy. You know, um, it's the other the other uh, red flag is guys that talk about other or other um, facilities and and talk them down all the time. Yeah, They run out of good things to say about themselves. That's, yeah. That's so they want to rip other people. You know, I don't like being around people like that either. There's no reason to do that. I don't care what those other people are doing. I'm asking you what you do. I gave the guy um, I shared my story with the guy last night. I, I, but uh, my message to him was because he asked he kind of heated around that question. And, uh, you know, I said, does, does, does he know how your son learns? 
Is he in tune with, is he, is he spatial? Uh, is he kinesthetic? I mean, how does he learn? And he looked at me like strange said, those are questions you've got to ask him because if you don't understand those, you got to do your own research in regards to that. And, um, you know, I, I also told him that these guys are great at imparting knowledge. And I use the word knowledge loosely. Um, and it goes to your cookie cutter comment, Mark and, and Will, but, um, you know, d- does he know how to foster creativity? Can he find the genius in your kid? I mean, can he uncover and discover what's inside him rather than just coaching him how he was coached and, as, you know, just kind of making a, again, like a predetermined workout program for him, which basically it was. It was a, I call it YouTube coaching. Right. I, you know, another thing is, is that, you know, most of these guys that sell programs, whether they're good programs or bad, are, are, are very high energy guys. Um, uh, I like the fact that people are optimistic. I like that people praise others, but you, you know, I want to make sure that the praise you're given is justified. You know, like you blowing smoke on a kid telling him that's a good curveball and it isn't just to try to justify your program. Uh, that's wrong. And I think parents need to look at stuff like that. Because you can get these guys that that cloud over what their really their abilities are as a teacher by praising people, telling them, "Oh, you're getting better," when you're really not getting better. Yeah. That happens all the time. I, and uh, you know, I believe, like Colin Powell said, here's a quote: uh, "Perpetual optimism is a force multiplier." I believe that. I believe if it's truthful. Yeah, I use this phrase all the time when people ask because I'm I'm very careful about. I love my kids to hear different voices. I actually, I love from their different male voices because, you know, obviously I want them to be around as many strong males as possible, but I also remind people, my children are not social experiments. I have made them dummy proof in a lot of ways, but uh, I'm not going to place them in an environment because six or seven other kids are competing with are there and uh, me haphazardly put them into a, into a pattern that I may not know how to get them back from. So I, I, I think the thing you guys are impressing upon parents out there too, be, be your own first educator. Don't rely on everybody else. Even with us, do your homework. I mean, don't just take it because we say it. Challenge us. We love that stuff. We'll, we'll gladly sit and talk with anybody, social media-wise or in person. So, but uh, guys, a great show. God, I kept you on for almost an hour and a half today. Plus, we did like a 40-minute warm-up. And it wasn't wow. – we weren't just doing valet jogs. It was dead sprints. So, um what do you want to, what do we want to tease the audience with next week and how do you want to leave them? And, um, I was going to make a suggestion off air, but, uh, Brandon Duckworth, uh, spoke to his, uh, biomechanics guy who Dan O'Dowd had on MLB network and Brandon, uh, I think talked to him when he was on our show, Mark and Dave and, uh, he would love to come on the podcast. So I have his contact info and uh, Dan did a whole session with him on injuries and uh, biomechanics, what's being missed now in the game. Well, that'd be phenomenal. That's a great, uh, that's a good one. Great. uh, Look forward to for our audience there. Mark, how do you, as our, as our show architect here, I love, (laughs) I love your notes. I mean, it's hard. It's hard for me to screw up as a producer with the, the, the uh, copious notes you send. I can't, even I can't mess that up. So how, how do you want to tease the audience? What are we looking forward to the next show? Well, you know, I, I think that the importance of our show is, is that through our experience, we're trying to give you our insights. Um, I don't want to be part of the problem. Like I said before, um, 
you can question anything we say. Most of the things that we say are we've experienced, mistakes we've made, observations we've seen. Um, we will continue to do that. And when we have guests on, we will continue to ask them some hard questions um, that, that, we, that we, we, we don't understand. Um, you know, it's hard to, you know, was, I, know, I was a major league pitching coach for years. And, uh, you know, so somebody thinks that I know everything about anything the body does relating to pitching, um, which I don't. Um, but I was able to surround myself with people that did know those things that could help me be better. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do with our audience. And, you know, on that, that end, I think if, if Dave, if, I don't know whether you could publicize it or say it at the end of the shows, but, you know, we have these guys, like I mentioned earlier, that have great training facilities that we trust that their kids will get the most out of it. Um, and I'd like to plug them. I like to plug yep. them because we're often saying, you know, get the right trainers. Well, if we know who some of them are in some parts of the country, we should uh, make that available to them. I think that'll be a good, and then we do that after Jim Rooney's show, Toe the Rubber, and yeah. always pumping fry out there. I haven't done so much with Ruben Amaro's uh, family, but we will. I think maybe we'll make that a pact as of today. We we always pump them on the shows, but maybe we can do something social media wise, not to to, to be negative on guys, but let's promote the people that are doing it the right way. Maybe pick one a day and do well, that. Well, you know, we know enough people um, in the industry too that. You know, I may not be familiar with somebody in New Mexico or something, but my friend lives there. Um, you know, I maybe we may be able to get some facilities that we really don't know about, but the people are to tell us about them. We trust them. Yeah, I like it. We'll do a trainer. We've got Jesse Levis out there doing working with yeah, us. Yeah, lots Jesse. of good people. So, um, uh, Jeff, Jeff Schaefer, we we know, and uh, yep. you know Jim Rooney, uh, Joe Barth. Still doing stuff up here in New Jersey. The hit doctor. Family. Uh, yeah, those are those Jack, are great names, and we Jack, should Jack Cust up in North Jersey. Uh, we know a lot of people, and there's a lot of good people that truly care about the kids. Let's do a weekly spotlight. Then we'll do that on our social media, and we'll, we'll try to weekly spotlight one person in our network that's doing it right, and see if we can't get at least a few people in every state for people to go to. That'll be a good, good starting point. Then they'll have direct comparisons and we won't have to tell them what's right and wrong. Cause when it's smack right in your face, it's pretty easy to, to judge apples to apples in that regard. So, all right, that's a deal. We got a good suggestion. So guys, great show today. Again, went, went a little over, but that's okay. It was great content for our audience. Almost an hour and a half today uh, with that. So episode 277, We've got a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, and, and Will promoted a potential future guest here on biomechanics, which we need to hear from. Um, but almost 50,000 subscribers, grassroots MLB front offices. Thank you for your help getting us on iHeartRadio podcast stream. Make sure you go on our all of our network streams and give these guys five stars today, write nice comments, because we are battling and we've successfully battled the analytics of the podcast world, kind of like we're trying to do in baseball. So with that, guys, thanks for a great show today, Mark and Will. Thanks, Dave. Enjoyed it. Have a great weekend. You too.